I, I do want to get to the Word. Um, and uh, uh, James, we've been in a series in James, and if you've got your Bibles, turn to chapter 3 of James. Uh, we are basically on week 6, and today I'm going to read through the entire chapter of James 3. All right, so this is a big text uh, to teach, and I usually won't read it all the way through like I am today, um, but I want to go through the entire chapter and get through the entire chapter of James 3. So if you would, as I read through this, um, let's focus on the Word of God together uh, as we um, hear a word from Him. So, James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my, brother, my brothers, for you know that we, teach, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire? The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly, deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same uh, opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's word. So pop quiz. Do your words matter? Right? Not, a, not a trick question. All right, do your words matter? We've got to wake up a little bit. You're responding um, about, I don't know, 20% to the point where I would like you to respond here. So do your words matter? Yes, thank you, thank you. Good, so you're, you're awake you're here, your words matter. We have all heard, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? No, words last forever, right? <laughs> sticks and stones may break your bones, but words last forever. And here's how I know this. All of you could tell me right now about something somebody has said to you that you will never forget. All of you can tell me right now about something somebody has said to you that you will never forget. You may have forgiven them, Right? You may have said, like, that's in the past. Uh, but what they said to me was so harsh, so mean, so wrong, right? I, I will never forget that. 
On the same token, right, you've been around those people who are just super encouraging, and somebody has said something to you that you will never forget, and you are so thankful for that. It may be a piece of advice. It may, they just may have encouraged you in a particular way, but you will never forget what they said to you. Our words matter. And, and to God, God, for God, words have always mattered. God spoke the world into existence. Right? God, to give us a way to know him, what did he do? Right? He gave us the scriptures. He gave us words to read and words to teach. When Jesus shows up on earth, how does John describe him? He describes him as the word who became flesh. Right? This is how Jesus was known. When Jesus uh, does come, what does Jesus do? He doesn't retreat to a monastery right, and keep to himself. Jesus travels, and he teaches, and he uses words. He uses words to encourage people. He uses words to correct people. He uses words to, to comfort people, and, and Jesus used his words ultimately, and his way of life ultimately, to, to guide people towards God, whom he was trying to show, and, and that's the big idea as we look at that. At least that's the first big idea I want you to see in this text as we read James together, is words matter because words guide people. They do. Whether we like it or not, words have an enormous influence on people. And and this is why James begins with warning who? People who want to become teachers. James warns people who want to become teachers because teachers have the role Right? of influencing or persuading others. The word in the Greek that James uses there um, is a didaskos, right? or he uses the plural, didaskoi, yeah. Um, and, and so what he is, he is talking about there are, are those who actually want to teach the scriptures. Uh, this is the word that's used typically to kind of describe Bible teachers in the New Testament as you read through the New Testament. Uh, you, you see, uh, those who were teaching throughout the New Testament believed that teaching was a, a high gift with a huge amount of responsibility. Uh, and, and Jesus believed too much is given, right? Too much is required. And if, if you are a teacher, if you want to be a, a Bible teacher, even to a certain extent a, a growth group leader, God has actually given you a lot of responsibility. And here's why. Right? There's the assumption... Right, that you have a particular amount of knowledge that God has been able to give you, that hopefully you're able to commit, communicate to others, and then also that God has given you a group of people. Right? You can't be a teacher who doesn't have anybody to teach. The teachers have pupils. Okay? And, and so what James is saying here, he's saying, I, I, I'm, going to, you, you, I'm going to let you know, like, if you want to be a teacher, you're, you're going to be held to a really higher standard. And this has always been scary for me. Right? I've, I've, this isn't like the first time I've read this. I've known this. And then as you read through the Gospels and you realize um, Jesus was the harshest on who? Teachers, right? Uh, Jesus was the harshest on scribes, right? Those who copied the Scriptures and would have had them memorized and would have known them better than anybody else. Uh, Pharisees who were a type of teacher, and Jesus himself was actually a Pharisee, um, believe it or not. Like, he would have fallen in that line or in that category. And the Sadducees, who taught, who taught the Torah, the, old, the first five books of the Old Testament, but then he part, they parted kind of from the prophets and the writings and so forth. But Jesus' own, in Jesus's own ministry, he was the harshest towards them. Uh, let me show you what I meant. Jesus actually, in Matthew 23, um, he gives them like five woes, and it's basically called like the five woes of judgment that he kind of speaks over uh, the teachers to kind of get their attention. And here's one of them here. 
In Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. For you tithe the mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. He said, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, why, why would scribes and Pharisees and why would teachers right, uh, be kind of praised and thanks, uh, thanked for tithing? Jesus says, you ought to have done that, right? You ought to have, have given, uh, but you ought not to have neglected these other things like justice and mercy and, and faithfulness. Well, well, here's why. Tithing is easier, right? In those days, by the way, like when they gave, they gave in front of everybody. Like everybody kind of saw what you gave when you went to the temple. So people could see the, 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 the priest giving. Now, right, we all kind of give privately. Like some of you may even give online or, or, or whatever. Uh, but like nobody ever went up to a scribe or Pharisee and said, you know what, you're giving too much. Right? Like I don't like the way you're giving because you're actually giving a tithe. In my own ministry, right, this has been true. I mean, not many of you, right, are seeing, like, the checks or anything that we're writing, but I've never had anybody come up to me, right, and say, Josh, like, you know, I saw you tithe last week or last month. I really wish you wouldn't do that. Like, you're making me uncomfortable, Josh, by giving to the church. None of that has ever happened, right? And the same same is true with them as well. They're not going to be made to feel uncomfortable about that. On the other hand, right, when they, when they start to talk about things like biblical justice, people are going to get uncomfortable. Uh, when I talk about the unborn, right, and the right to life, it makes people uncomfortable, right? Or when I talk about racial reconciliation, that makes people uncomfortable. Right? When we talk about refugees, that makes people uncomfortable or care for the poor, right? Those are when, you, when, when I get comments like from people, well, pastor, I really wish you wouldn't talk about those issues. Like Those issues are tough. Our issues of mercy. So how do we deal with the person who had an abortion or who doesn't talk like you or doesn't look like you or isn't at the same income level as you are at? When I tell you, right, if you're going to be forgiven by God, right, you've got to forgive other people. Like, if, if you have received so much mercy from God, you've got to extend it to other people. Like, those are the things that get me in trouble. Those are the things that make people uncomfortable. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Right? The, the book of James, it's all about calling people to faithfulness. Right? Living according to the word, even when it's difficult. It's a hard thing to do, and I, I just want you to know, right, uh, Bible teachers who are committed to do those things always do so with fear. Because, like, most of us, like, w- we want to be liked. Right? Uh, we don't like, most, most pastors, right, don't like conversa- confrontation. Uh, but the Bible is, is, is difficult, right, to teach. Because we don't realize that God is more just, God is more merciful, and God desires for us to be more faithful than we ever desire to be. What we learn here is that the Bible is dangerous to teach, but it's dangerous not to teach as well, uh, if you're a Bible teacher, because you'll be judged more, stru- more harshly. But not only is it dangerous for the teacher, but it's dangerous for the people of God. Uh, look at what we're taught in Hosea. Uh, Hosea, God is speaking through his prophet Hosea to the people of God, and 
here's what God says to them, the Father. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I have rejected you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, and he goes on to say basically that um, the people of God are no longer the people of God, is what he goes on to say there. And, And so when Jesus is getting on the teachers there, and he's calling the priests to teach the word and to be very careful not to neglect any of it, Jesus is being just like his father here. And why here are are the priests not teaching God's word? They're not teaching God's word because there's this group called the Assyrians that's surrounding Israel right now. Now, the Assyrians were not very kind to the Israelites, the people who wanted to follow the Lord. And basically, it was inevitable that the Assyrians were going to take over the people around them. If this is the case, is it advantageous for the priests to continue to teach the word of God, which teaches that all the Assyrian gods do not exist and should not be followed? The answer to that is no, right? If, if the priests know the Assyrians are coming, right, the best, the, 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 the most, the safest thing for them to do, right, to save their own skin during their lifetime is actually to, to kind of welcome in the gods of the Assyrians and the teaching of the Assyrians here. And so that's what, that's what the priests started to do. But then God begins to tell the, tells Hosea to tell the priest that what is going to happen is that the people of God are no longer going to be around and that you are no longer actually a Bible teacher anymore. You're no longer a child of God anymore because you're no longer teaching God's word. And so this is one of the reasons why we, we actually go through a book like James together. Uh, because James forces us as we go through the word to actually address issues that we might not address. Because here's the thing, like, it's really easy for me to do, like, a lot of topical messages. Like, it's easy for me to do a series through joy. Like, nobody, you know, comes after me after a series through joy. Well, Josh, you're telling people, like, what will make them happy and, and stuff like that, like, biblical happiness. Like, ah, right? It's, it's fairly easy to do a series on the Holy Spirit, right? It's fairly easy to remind people how to disciple people and come alongside people and be in relationship with one another. But when you open a book and just go straight through it, right, the Bible is going to cover some things, right, that's going to make some people be uncomfortable because you're going to follow, you're going to call them to a level of faithfulness that they may not have thought of before, may even be uncomfortable with. But Paul uh, and, 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 and those in the Bible thought this was extremely important. Look at what Paul has to say. He's talking to a group of Christians in Acts, and he says, I, I, declare, I declare to you today that I have been faithful. Why has he been faithful? He says, so if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. He says, for I did not, uh, I did not shrink from declaring what, church? How much of God's word? All that God wants you to know. Now, here's the thing. The way we, we talk and how you guide people and your guidance isn't just for pastors. I, I don't want to make myself or those who teach too self-important here. Because James actually is writing to the entire church once he gets to verse 2. So he warns the teachers, and then he gets to you. And here's something that I I just kind of want you to know as as you read these words and contemplate the word of God here. um, Your words here will teach you who is steering your ship. If you're taking notes, this is really important for you. Pay attention to your words because they teach you who's steering your ship. He gives us two illustrations. And verses basically two through five. And here they are. 
he says you can have a bit and you can put it in a horse's mouth and you notice the small bit controls the horse. If you grew up riding horses, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to take a ton of time of explaining it, but a small bit goes in a horse's mouth and the reins are hooked to it. And if you pull back on the reins this way, you'll turn the horse's head and the horse will go that way. The same with the other way. And that's how the bits work in a horse. And then he uses a second illustration. And he says, most of you probably understand this one even a little more. He says, you imagine a large boat, and a large boat has a rudder that's underneath the boat. It can be in the center or in the back of the boat. And as the boat is traveling, that rudder determines the direction of, or that rudder determines the direction of the boat. And the point that James is trying to make is, is, is really simple. Something small, something small can determine the direction of the whole ship. Something small can determine the direction of the whole person, Right? And so what he is saying is your tongue or your mouth or what you say, although your words and everything that comes out may seem, so, may seem small, but in reality, right, it is what directs you. And he says if you can't control the tongue, the point is he's trying to make, if you can't control your tongue, your life is not under control. You all know this, know this to be true, right? You've all said things that have caused chaos in your life or somebody else's life. And this is what James is saying. Like, you know, you know that your tongue can destroy the things that are most important to you, although it's extremely small. We've all had our tongue destroy a relationship that we valued so much. We've, we've all maybe said something that has ruined our reputation, if, if not for a long time, for a time. This past week, or last week, I was on vacation. I told you we went on vacation. And we did one of those vacations. We, we went with my, my whole family. Um, by my whole family, I mean my parents and my two brothers and their wives and my niece, and we rented a house, um, like one side of like a duplex house on the beach, and we're there, and it was rainy, and so we were stuck inside half the week together, and um, like anybody gone on vacation with their entire family before, right? All right, day two, three, like you ready to get out of there? All right, um, so we're, we're sitting on the beach, and my middle brother walks out, and he He's a late sleeper anyways, and so we said something about, hey, did you not get any sleep last night? He said something uh, about his daughter keeping them up, and uh, as the older brother, um, I uh, gave him some brotherly advice, right, because I'm an expert parent, and my children sleep awesome. Uh, They don't, um, right? We call Evelyn our night terror. Um, She doesn't have night terrors. She is one, Um, and so I I give him some advice, he lets me know um, in a few words that he did not appreciate my advice, um, that he had tried everything under the sun, that his wife is a child psychologist, and all this stuff, and then walks away quickly to the beach. And I thank God that he walked away quickly to the beach because I gave him a tongue lashing back, and thankfully the only ones sitting there at that time were my mother and my wife, um, as I, I'm not going to tell you what I said, um, as I said, all of these things that weren't very kind about my brother and uh, his wife, they don't listen to my sermons right now, so they're not going to know this. Um, my mom does, but they don't. Uh, so, but then afterwards, uh, I began to think, like, thank God he didn't hear that. Right? Thank God that, that he didn't hear that. And I had the same conversation with Emily right, uh, after we left the beach later that week. Just like, man, I, I am glad my brother did not hear that. You know why? Like, my relationship with him is way more important uh, than him ever trying to implement any type of parenting advice that I give him. 
let's be honest, like, yeah, if you get together with your family or whoever, maybe for a period of time, and it is, it is difficult, uh, but, but wouldn't you much rather to be able to do that than allow certain words to come out of your mouth, which you may have even meant at the time to destroy a relationship that you value more uh, than some words that you want to share that might tear them down or, or hurt them? I knew my brother. He just, he just reacted out of frustration. He hadn't, he hadn't slept or anything like that. All this is true for you. Right? We've all done it. Like, we've all said things that have ruined relationships. Maybe it, it was with, with your wife, with your kids, with a friend. Right? Maybe you said something that's gotten you fired from a job that you either needed or really enjoyed. Right? Just because you had a bad day and couldn't control your tongue. And here's the thing. Here's what James teaches us. He said... <laughs> He says the devil desires this kind of destruction in your life. He does. The, the devil wants to steer your ship here. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy relationships that are extremely important to you. And I, I can tell you right now that the devil would love for me to be up here preaching to you with an unreconciled relationship with my brothers or somebody else that I love deeply. He would love that. You, get, you go down into James 3, and he says, the speech that destroys people, right, it's straight from hell. It's speech that comes from a bitter heart, from jealousy, from selfish ambition, from boasting, from being false to the truth. He says this about it. He says, earthly, right? It, it comes from your flesh. He says it's unspiritual and demonic. You realize that like, your speech has a lot of weight and it's hard to hold back because you are actually in a cosmic struggle to, to control your tongue. Like, what you say, if, if you believe that, like, what you say just, just got real, right? Th that Satan doesn't want your tongue to be tamed. In fact, and, he, and, and this is one of the reasons it's really hard to do. James says, we've tamed everything on earth. Right? Humans are really good at taming things. He says we've tamed all kinds of animals, all kinds of sea creatures. Like, if you've been to SeaWorld, like, they don't do this anymore, and it's probably a good thing from what I've seen. But, like, we've, we've tamed whales, right? Like, just think about your dog, right? Your dog is a domesticated wolf. Now, if you have one of those little things, I don't really know how they were wolves at one point, but, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. W what I'm told is your dog is a domesticated wolf. Right? And it's probably easier to teach your dog how to sit than to control what you say. And, and, that's, and that's what James is getting at here. He said, we tamed everything, but you can't tame your tongue. He says, it's so destructive, right? It's like a forest fire. I don't know if any of you have um, been following like, the forest fire going, out, going on out in, in California, but James said like, your tongue is, 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 is like a fire. It can set everything ablaze. Well, right now out in California, um, there's a fire that's been started, and it's covered about 100,000 acres, and it's expanding right now. It's destroyed over 1,000 homes, about 400 businesses. It's killed six people um, as of Friday. And then yesterday, you know how I read that it started? Yeah. Uh, flat tire. Right. Uh, somebody was pulling a trailer, I think, and their tire went flat. The rims sent out a spark, and 100,000 acres are now burned up and six people dead. So what does that teach us? Right? Something very small can be extremely destructive. 
And as you read, what you discover is because of the winds and the weather is very unforgiving, right? they don't know how to put it out. Right? They have to wait for that weather to change and really for an act of God to happen before they're able to put that fire out. Our tongue is like that. Something very small can start something very big and can be very difficult to put out. James says that there's uh, a more destructive kind of speech than others even, one that he wants us to avoid. And he says it like this in verse 9. He says, We bless our Lord and Father with our tongue. And he says, With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And so what James is saying here is that people can come to worship and we can worship God and then we can go and we can curse people. And so what he's trying to get at here is that you can't come as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you can't come and praise Jesus and not show compassion to other people and not be merciful to other people. He, he says you can't come and bless your father, right, and not bless your family. Like, you, you can't come and, 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 and say, we have a good father who loves and forgives us and then goes home, right, and lives with a spirit of criticism towards, towards your wife and towards your children and towards your friends and towards your neighbors and towards everybody else that you come into contact with. He says it doesn't work. James says that your worship has to line up with your words or your words have to line up with your worship. And one of the things that we know is that Jesus says things like this. He says that you should, you should curse people who curse you. Wait, did Jesus say that? No. All right, yeah, some of you, yeah. All right, some of you are paying attention, right? Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, what should you do to people who curse you? You should bless them, right? But, but here, James has said that he, he, he must know that people in the church, that they're cursing other people. And so what do you do when you curse other people? Right? Like, you're not cursing at them. You're not just saying a bunch of bad words to them. I mean, you might. Uh, but what he implies by that is that you are hoping that they are cut off to God. Like, that's what a curse is when you place it on somebody. You are wishing that they are cut off from God. And if our words guide people, right, this is the worst thing you can do because your job as a Christian is to guide them to God, right? And so you must never wish that somebody can be cut off from God. And so if you are cursing people and if you aren't guiding people to God, but your words are actually leading people away from God, what James says we need is we need wisdom from above. Now, what does that look like? Well, what is that? Well, wisdom from above is Jesus Christ. What does Jesus Christ teach us? Right? I'm, I'm going to give you some pop quizzes here because we have a smart congregation. So were you saved, right? Uh, were you saved because you were a good person, right? And you were doing all the right things and God just showed up and said, hey, great, come on in. No, right? You are saved by grace, right? Through faith, not by works, so that no person can boast, right? Now, if this is true, right, uh, somebody's evil or bad works or whatever they're doing, right, uh, your primary mo mode towards them uh, shouldn't be criticizing them, it shouldn't be cursing them, uh, it, it shouldn't be with that spirit, uh, but rather, uh, that person should know, they, they can know that what they're doing is wrong, but they should know that you love them and Jesus does too. If our goal in life is to guide people to Christ, right, 
Who was guided towards Christ in this room because somebody told you you were awful? Like, they didn't like you, right? Like, no, right? You were guided to Christ through people who loved you, right? And you knew that about them. You were guided to Christ by your mom, by your grandmother, by your dad, by your pastor. Who I don't know who led you to Christ, but right, it was somebody who lo- who loved you. But Paul puts it like this in Romans. He says, "Kindness leads to repentance." Right? Uh, while I'm on this, I, I want to address like not just a, a an audible speech, but right another another type of speech that we've been given um, recently in the past number of years. Right? You know what it is: the social media. Right, like, all of us, like, we can say what we're thinking, like, right now, and some of us say things that we would never say to people if they were standing in front of us, right? But social media has made people uh, probably more bold and more people lose wisdom um, than any other mode of communication that, that I know of, right? So just let me ask you, right, if, if people were to read your feed, what would people read from you? Would they get the idea that they are made in God's image? Like, like, would they get the idea that, like, you hope to bless people? Because God has blessed you. Or would they get the idea that, like, you want to curse a whole set of people? Or a certain type of person? So, here's some just guidelines, right? Christian guidelines here uh, for our social media. Pray before you post. If you're going to post something that's uh, controversial, seek wisdom from above. If you're going to post something that's political, seek wisdom from above. Right? And I'm fine with doing all of those things, by the way. Right? We need Christians who think right, about hard subjects and who think about policy and all of those sorts of things. Like We need that. But you need to seek wisdom from above, and you need to do so with humility. Second, Encourage people on social media. I mean, who doesn't love some encouragement from social media? Like, who doesn't love getting tagged in something that's pretty cool, right? When somebody has thanked you or encouraged you or said, great job. First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up as you are already doing. Right? So the assumption is that in your speech and the way that you talk, because you're a Christian, you are already encouraging one another. So just use uh, social media as another way to do that. Three, win hearts and people not arguments. Win hearts and people, not arguments. And I say this quite simply, like I'm not a social media junkie. I don't get on it a lot. I, I just, for whatever reason, this, this point in my life, I can't handle it. Um, uh, I, I'm just not good with it. Um, but here's the thing from what I can tell is I've never seen an argument won on social media. And here's what I mean by that. Like, I've never seen two opposing people come together and hash things out on social media and one person change their mind. Never seen it. Maybe you have, and and I'm just wrong about this, but if that's the case, right, why would we get in arguments on social media? Like, if we're trying to change people's hearts and people's minds, if that's our primary goal, and we know we can't do that through an argument, right, be very careful we, we, we must be gentle. We must show that we love people who differ, differ than us, and we must show them, right, if we're going to post something out there, uh, that if they disagree with us or whatever, that we're humble and God always offers redemption. Four, remember who is watching you on social media, right? Right? Remember who's watching you. It could be other people in the church. 
Uh, it could be people outside of the church, and they know you're a Christian. Right? Would what you post honor God? Or it could just be your employers, right? Be careful. Five, seek to create unity in the body of Christ. Here's something that the Bible teaches us is the church is the bride of Christ. Now, one thing um, that uh, uh, you should know is that my bride is not perfect. Um, Emily is here. We celebrate anniversary tomorrow. Uh, she's, she's not perfect, but she's my bride, right? Uh, and so here's the thing. Like, if you're going to criticize Emily to me, you need to be really careful, right? You need to be really careful. Uh, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is not perfect. I can tell you all of the ways it's not, I promise, right? I can tell you the people in the church that aren't perfect, right? James says it's all, it's all of us. But, but we must be careful to criticize it on social media in front of other people. It doesn't mean that churches don't need to be formed. It doesn't mean that the pastors don't teach things that are wrong and need to be corrected. I'm just not sure social media is the medium to do that. Right? We're told in Colossians 3.14, above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. And he's talking about the church there. You see, if we remember that our goal is to lead people to Christ and to welcome people into his church, right, this will be easy. But to be honest, if that's not your goal, Here's the thing. Like, if you're saying, well, that's not my goal, Josh. Well, well, your ship is just being sailed in the wrong direction. Like, that's every Christian's goal. And so just check to see who's steering your ship and where it's going. The second big idea that James wants us to see here is this, is that words reveal what's in our heart. Words reveal what's in our heart. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water, in verse 11? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So here's what James simply says. He said, words reveal who you are. Words reveal who you are and how you think. He says this, figs, a fig tree or branch, cannot produce olives. In other words, like, if your heart is right with God, your mouth cannot produce things that show otherwise. Uh, and get this, get this, right? Not that we should stand in judgment over people, but we should be very careful to follow people whose words do not line up with the character that we want them to line up with. This is the point that a salt pond cannot produce fresh water. James is telling us to be wise about these sorts of things because what people say ultimately reveal their character. People can put... So there's, there's three type of people. There's a person who can put on um, a, a nice show, and they can say everything that they want and yet live an awful life. But those people you can't really tell unless you really get to know them. There's a person whose words line up with everything they have to say. And then there's the person who is careless with their words. And what James is saying here, ultimately, is a person who is careless with their words is careless with the rest of their life. That's, that's the point he's making, and here's why. He says, people produce according to their nature in every aspect of their life, for the most part. You can't otherwise. A fig tree cannot produce olives. In the same way, an apple tree cannot produce oranges. A godly person must produce godly speech. An ungodly person will speak ungodly. This is, this is the very point here that James is making. And where does all of this flow from? It flows from the heart. 
Jesus said it like this. James gets this idea directly from Jesus. In Luke 6, 45, he says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So what James would have for us this morning to do is to pay attention to our words. Pay attention to your words. Your words reveal who you are and what is in your heart. You get that? Your words reveal who you are and what is in your heart. And so if you want to change your heart, you have to pay attention to your words. We've all, we, we've all basically said this one thing. I didn't mean what I said because we said something awful. And a lot of you, right, maybe that's true, but maybe it's not. Right? Maybe you've said some really awful things to somebody, and you meant it, right? You, you, you said I didn't mean what I said because you were upset that you got caught. Like, it, it ruined your relationship, or it ruined your reputation, but in reality, like, you really meant it, right? And, and so what James is saying here is, like, if you really mean the things that you were saying, something needs to change. Your heart needs to change. If you want to change the way you speak, you need to change your heart. The, the point is that you need to change your nature. If you want to produce figs, you can't do it being a grapevine. You have to become a fig tree. And so how do we do that? How do we become a person whose heart is right and whose words flow out of that? You have to renew it. You have to become a new person. You have to change your nature. So here's our prayer this morning, if that's you. Right? You've noticed that your worship and your words do not line up. As you reflect on your own words and your own life, the way you speak to others, about others, and to others, right? they don't line up with the way that you'd, you'd like them to. Right? They don't line up with your values. Your relationships are being destroyed by the things that you say. Your reputation is being destroyed by the things that you say. Right? Here's your prayer. Here's our prayer this morning. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. How do we do this? We've got to receive wisdom from above. And who is that? It's Jesus. Right? Our wisdom from above is Jesus. In a moment, we're going to take communion here. Now, communion reminds us of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We focus on the death when we think about the blood and the body of Jesus Christ right now. And Jesus taught us to do what to those who curse us, church? Bless. To bless those who curse us. So what does Jesus do when the chips are down? What's he do when the chips are down? Jesus is standing before Pilate. He knows he's going to probably be crucified or going to be tried to be crucified. And people are screaming at Jesus. And what are they screaming? Crucify him. Crucify him. How dare he claim to be the Son of God? How dare he do and teach the things that he taught? Send him to the cross. Crucify this man as a criminal. We do not want him as our leader anymore. <laughs> Crowds of people that once followed Jesus are now screaming this at Jesus. So they march him to the soldiers. And what do the soldiers do? They beat Jesus and they mock Jesus. Jesus, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Messiah, tell us who hit you now. How does this feel, Jesus? Now carry your cross a couple miles to Golgotha. Go ahead, Jesus, with the crowds continuing to scream at him and to shout at him. And then he goes up on the cross, they lift him up on the cross, and he looks over, and what does the thief do? 
He mocks them. The thief says, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, get us off of here. Save yourself. Hey, save us with you. Prove it. The soldiers cast lots for his clothes. They can hear, he can hear what's going on. How does Jesus respond? Father, forgive them, for they not know what they do. We bless those who curse us. All right, church, if you've got a problem, right, if you've got a problem with your words, look at Jesus. Ask for wisdom from above. Right? He can change your heart if you believe this. Some of you are here today, and you've said things, whether you're a part of the church or not a part of the church, you wish you, would, you hadn't, right? Relationships have been ruined. Reputations have potentially been ruined, and the thing is, is that you can't forgive yourself for them. It's, it's a burden. It, it really is. Because we all know that probably relationships are the most important thing to us. We think of Jesus on the cross. What's he guiding us towards? A relationship with God. Here's something that I want you to know, is that no matter what you've said, or no matter what you've done, those are still... Jesus' words for you, that first half especially, as Father, forgive them. The the trouble is, is church, like if you're a follower of Jesus and you continue to curse people, right, that second half of that is no longer true. You know what you're doing. And and so what Jesus is, what James is calling us to (laughs) is to stop, receive Jesus' forgiveness and turn to him and change the way we speak. Others of you, maybe you've never received Jesus and you need to change your heart. You've noticed that the way you speak to people and about people, um, it's wrong, right? And you don't know how to stop it. Well, the way that you change and the way that your nature is changed is that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you commit to following him. You may not become a fig tree tomorrow, right? (laughs) But but he's going to walk you in that direction if you receive him as Savior. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. Um, I want to pray all, over all of you. I ask that you agree with me in prayer here as the worship team comes forward. And then I want to invite you to come forward and receive communion. Um, if you are a, a Christian and believer in Jesus Christ, um, even if you're here for the first time, you're welcome to take communion with us. We'll all take communion down the center aisle here. Uh, the blood of Jesus, the, the juice will be on the top. The bread will be on the bottom and two cups. Make sure you grab two cups. Uh, use this time to pray, to worship. And then after everybody has grabbed the elements, um, we will take communion together. So let me pray for us as I conclude this message, and I'm going to invite you to take communion as we remember and reflect on Jesus, who was the Word, who died for us, and who can change our words this very moment. Father, we give you thanks because you sent Jesus Christ to teach us a better way. We are reminded this morning that our words matter. Father, we were reminded this morning that the word that matters the most is your son, Jesus Christ, and following him. And so, Father, we pray this morning as we have come to sing praises and blessings to Jesus and our Father, Father, that our, our worship and our words line up in our life. We thank you for a God who, when we curse him, has not cursed us, but rather forgives us. We seek that kind of wisdom from above that teaches us to show love and compassion and mercy to others. Father, maybe somebody is here this morning and um, something uh, is stirring in their heart, something I said. Maybe there's a relationship, Father, that is broken. 
and they have not been able to forgive themselves for that, I pray, Father, that they know that you have forgiven them. I pray, Father, then that you give them the ability, Father, to use words to the best of their ability to restore any earthly relationships that they may have. I pray that they are able to forgive themselves for what they said. No person, as you have said, and James is a perfect person. We've all said things we wish we hadn't. So, Father, this morning I pray that we believe that your grace is, is bigger than we are and bigger than our words. Father, maybe there's somebody here this morning and they know that they're unable to correct their speech, which is bringing chaos to their lives because their heart is not right. And if that's the case, Father, we pray that they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior right now, that they make the decision right now to, to follow your Son, to receive him as Savior. To allow, to, to allow him through the power of the Holy Spirit to change their lives and to change their speech and to change their eternity. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.